Paul Briggs is a guitarist for Perth instrumental band Tangled Thoughts of Leaving, whose album No Tether is out now. They'll be playing at, as part of Postcards from the West in Perth at the State Theatre Centre of WA on the 15th of December. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Ben, it's great to uh, be here. Nice to talk to you, man. Um, so I, I'm always sort of stuck a little bit how to start these interviews. But for you, I think there's a really nice way to do it because you're, you know, in terms of the history of the band, relatively new to it. Um, yeah. Take it even further back from there. When did you first start working with the band? Oh, I mean, it, it's funny in a way because it's like, I probably I started working with the band right around um, we grew up in the same town and like so when we were 17 and stuff like playing in band like when they started 10 years ago I was there watching their shows um, I think I missed the first show because I was underage to get in the venue and then uh, from and then any Mandra shows they played which is one of the towns we lived by uh, I was there but um it kind of started out like years ago, just like Andy, um, like a friend and who was the original guitarist of Tangled, um, just wanted to borrow one of my amps for recording. And um, so Ron was uh, busy in the first amalgamation of his studio, just recording uh, the Tiny Fragments EP, actually. And uh, I just went over and let my amp and had a couple of beers and a barbecue and stuff and just hanging out. And it was sort of, we always had a friendship from that point. And um, then probably uh so about uh 2012 or so um ron was actually recording another friend's band and um borrowed that same amp again and uh we just started hanging out and um i just happened to uh be interested in jumping on helping the guys out with their first europe tour um so i ended up uh playing the kind of roadie and tech role and going around for those guys for their uh for actually both their europe tours that they've done so far and uh it sort of just blossomed from there and then um, always had an interest in what they were doing and obviously I play guitar as well so it was handy to know that but I'd always had like a sort of tried to not be too like being aware of their writing process and stuff but always thought about it in my own way where it's like not be too influenced by those guys because it's it's like literally playing your friend's riffs if you're sort of informed by their writing style and stuff but um, it's I've always been active in the process of um, so like Ron running his studio and he's recorded like all of the Tangled's albums um, and just helping step in for, you know, he's got to play piano at some point. So someone needs to uh, run Pro Tools and and run that side of things as well while they're going for these things. And um, I just ended up doing that quite a bit as well. It's something that's interested me for a long time as well and sort of started out as a hobby and definitely picked up from skills from Ron and it's uh, been pretty interesting um, having that little extra like knowing the guys and having worked with them before actually like joining in as a full-time member as well. Um, yeah, I, I definitely look back on it pretty fondly and it was it was a great experience for anyone to have, especially someone that considers themselves as just like a friend and not actually trying to professionally like be someone working on the road and stuff like that. It was a, it was a great little step into the world of the music industry. Um, and I quite enjoyed it. How did you actually end up joining the band? Um, I think it was, uh, or sometime after their last European tour, um, the guys were basically 
getting ready to settle in and, and had started jamming and getting ready to work on new ideas for a new album. Uh, it was kind of on the end of the Yield of Despair kind of touring cycle. And um, Andy, uh, the old guitarist, he uh, he just works a fly-in, fly-out job and uh, he was starting to sort of change his uh, the things that he was going for in life and um, started working more. He got a house and things like that. So he ended up just sort of coming forward to the guys and saying he wasn't quite feeling like he he – it was right for him anymore and he was feeling really good about it because I was kind of there and the guy, like we'd always kind of joked about it because we both play guitar and stuff. And um, so it was kind of just like a, yeah, like a re- really easy transition in a way um, and really just like amicable um, in that like, I mean, Andy still comes to shows and things like that, um, but he's like also – he's sort of like he was only playing music because he was so interested in Tangled and playing for Tangled. But since then he's sort of kind of put his, put his guitar away in a way and um, tinkers every now and again, but he's sort of, yeah, he's, he's changed his, his goals, I guess. And what was it like sort of moving on from kind of friend, um, you know, helping them out in sort of various ways to actually being a key member of the band? Um, it's definitely been, it's like, it's been more fulfilling for sure. Like, you know, you can't joke, like you can't lie about the fact that it's like when you're a musician, there is a part of you that wants to be playing on stage when you're watching a band play or something like that. And like being, and actually taking part in the creation. And, um, it, um, it sort of, because I was helping with engineering and things like that, we already sort of had a collaborative relationship as well. So it, I wouldn't say that it was a massive difference in that, like, I still, I already had pride for the band and things like that. And it's like, there, you know, I've been literally a fan of this band for, since they started. Um, and it's been something that's always interested me. And it just really, yeah, it just, it just literally, I just got to start playing in the band and, and partaking in a way and just diving in at a deeper level. Um, and it's been really great. It's been really challenging. Like the, everyone is just really good at their instruments. And um, so you do feel a sense of like excitement in that, like, you know, you're not like, you know, there's dudes that shred way harder and all that kind of thing. And it's like, you always have this challenge and can always just like find new and interesting ways to play. And then when it's a, band light tangled as well where it's like even the writing and composition and all those things there's no like rules in a way it's like there's a lot of wild cards and and those kind of things and it was really so the whole no tether process kind of started from the fact that like from the first initial kind of jams that we had together there was like a really good and like powerful energy and um we had the ability to those guys in, like have played together for thousands of hours and it's like i had listened but there's almost this like when you finally join in and you start helping paint the picture it's like it changes in ways that no one really thought it would um and it kind of happened at a point where everyone was really ready to start taking on kind of loosening up some of the, say, math rocky and, like, prog 
and tech influences and starting to get more into like improv and free forming kind of stuff. Um, so it really allowed for us to like really organically kind of build a, a live relationship and how we actually played as a group with the new lineup. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting because it's, it, it really is a kind of unique experience to get to spend like a couple of years with the guys doing the touring and doing those aspects, which are like, you know, we're still a small band. So touring in Romania can be sleeping on a floor and stuff like that. So it's like you go through the lows with the band and now it's like you start to join in on, on the highs and everything like that. And, um, you know, we've done some cool tours since I've joined and I've just, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm, I'm grateful for um, getting the opportunity as well. Like it, that kind of outside perspective might give me a little bit more of that ability to appreciate that as well. Like, yeah, it's been pretty interesting. Now you sort of hinted at the sort of idea of the album. Let, let's dive a bit into that. When exactly, so there's sort of this transition of you joining the band, when exactly does the album begin to sort of take shape? What's the start of that process? Oh, it's sort of, it's because of how it has been formed. Um, there was sort of, say, like the initial idea that we developed, uh, and that was, like, say, I think January 2015 or something like that where it was like we had these jams where say like the initial progressions of how some of the songs actually work and some of the sections ended up being they all came out in these improv jams um and then we kind of so we had um a national tour booked with uh sleep makes waves and the contortionists that we ended up jumping on so we shifted gears and went into kind of practicing a set and we we created new material. We actually road tested um, a new song, which was the first time Tangled had done that as well, um, where like literally just took a new song out on the road and uh, tested it out. And um, we still sort of have that song in the background. It didn't actually even make it onto the album in the end. Um, but we kind of focused on getting good at playing together live and learning from like songs like the title track from the last album, Yield to Despair, where being able to play with like an awareness of each other and there's improvisation and things like that, we used that to help develop maturity um, in the way that I played with the band and the way that the guys interacted with me and how my style fitted in. Um, and then so after that too, we kind of, we came back in and then we started essentially like jamming a lot and we would have these seeds of ideas um, and we kind of just started working and we almost had to put like, okay, this is one basket here and we'll put these here and we'll work on them. But we had this whole other subset of stuff sitting in another basket that's like none of that ended up making it on the album, but it helped to inform the way that we ended up putting together the actual form of No Tether. Um, but as a process, like, when, when we started recording, we started recording with, um, I believe the first track we recorded was The Alarmist. 
And that was almost like the most kind of, I guess, um, we'd really developed the ideas and we brought it into a context of like, a kind of like, you know, like a, a, a really strong form, but still using kind of elements of math rock and, and metal and drone and the way that it sludges down, it's got quite like a, it's got a form to it. There's like, everyone knows when they're hitting things. And then by the time that we'd gone through the whole process where we started to record other songs and get to like in a dissonance, for example, where it's almost all free time and we had to kind of go through the process of recording everything to develop the ideas further and further. And it was like, as we were working on them, more details were coming out and we just were working on all these things. And it's like, I think maybe like by December, 2017, we'd come to the point where, okay, we've actually finished recording what the title track, No Tether, ended up being. But although No Tether was based off of ideas from that initial, like, jams from two years before, it had never even taken form until kind of towards the end after we'd developed all this other language and we'd explored all the other ways that we could, like, actually look at how what was essentially this feeling that we were grabbing from the first jam, which was, like, the idea of there just being like chaos and and almost like beauty in that chaos, but the, also the idea of looking at order and the kind of the truth of the order to help kind of untangle the chaos as well. Um, so there, you know, there was times where I think there was uh, songs that were recorded probably three times or so. Um, we we kept working at it because we just we really wanted to put something out that we were really really proud of but like that we had really applied ourselves for as well like we challenged ourselves to make the parts better like every week and because of the like drawn out process of recording it um we have the luxury of ron having a recording studio so we can just like every weekend we can record and that's what we do. It's like we get in there and we record and if a part isn't sounding right, we, we play on it and we find out what we like about it or we find new ways that we can look at it. And that ends up becoming like a quite a, by the time you're like five, six, seven tracks in, it's definitely, um, we've, we haven't streamlined the process, but it's really organic. We're really like, playing the songs and making sure we were, we were really conscious of having a really good live energy for it all and um, that things would feel good to play in the room and really involve us playing it. And so in a way it was like we needed to be really aware while we were actually recording all of it and um, we, <laughs> we might have gone there, – there was – there's definitely versions of the tracks that we had where we could have released them, but every time we got new sections and things, we learned so much that we were able to reapply it to things. And it was almost like we just ended up doing like 
pre-production for like two years and then everything took form and then say in the last sort of three months of 2017 we just we really went, okay, we got really nice setups. We got Ron had um, upgraded some of his gear and stuff and we went, okay, we're going to, we're going to get the final forms of everything. We're going to release this because it's like, it's ready. And it's, it had, it's, it's got such like a great live energy about it. Um, And I think that comes from the fact it's almost like we toured it in a way, like we played it over and over instead of it being, we've written it and played it a few times and then recorded it multi-tracking separate or whatever. It's like we've played it in the room a lot and a lot of it is recorded where either like it's all of us playing at the same time. For example, No Tether, the track is um, that entire song is pretty much everyone playing at the same time, like we're playing live in the room. And it's kind of the fact that to have that chaos and that intangibleness about a song you can't just put a click track on and, and play your part. You need the other tip, like you need everyone there to be able to like play it together for it to take that form. Um, it's uh, yeah. So, so it ended up being quite a long process where it really did like say like, you know, two years into the process, the final track actually kind of came out Um and it's it's interesting in that we we didn't nec- we had the separate individual ideas for tracks per se, but when we recorded it, we did kind of record it in a linear fashion across the way the record goes, with the idea in mind that the actual whole the album in entirety is one composition in a way. Um, the long form kind of tracks that Tangled were known for, from like Yield to Despair and stuff like that we we took what we knew from all that kind of things but we realized that this album ended up presenting itself in like different scenes and there's like parts of the of the album where it's like it feels like the room changes and you're in a different environment and we would we were conscious of those things and trying to um really produce the environment with our actual instruments as well um yeah, let's go with two years. <laughs> After that long story, I'd say it was a two-year-long process to uh, record, uh, get the whole form of everything. Um, and it still it had multiple different forms, um, and then this is the way that it organically kind of came out in the end. One thing I always kind of wonder about bands which incorporate a good amount of, I don't know, um improvisation but not just improvisation on in a live setting but it really is focusing on improvisation in a jamming recording setting is like how do you know that the track is done like, you know when it's sort of the idea is to be organically developing something and it can take two years how do you kind of know when like yep this is it we've made it <laughs> it's um I'm I'm not 100% sure a track can ever really be done in a way, but it started to get to the point where we were ready to work on new ideas and not in a way where we were tired of playing the stuff, but where we felt like we'd explored things so like so in depth that 
that it wasn't that there wasn't other routes to explore, but we were actually like, we were starting to really like what we were hearing. And like, when we were listening to it, we're like, yeah, this, that's how the song sounds. Like, so it's sort of, it almost, uh, for lack of better words, like it, it, it told us itself that it was finished in a way. Like, um, but it's one of those things where it's like, if we had a sat, sat it to the side for three months, we would have come back to it with a complete new like take on it. And we probably would have just bogged down again and spent another year and a half recording new stuff. Um, so it is that kind of like, I'd say that Ron was probably the strongest advocate in having the like, I'm going to go with maturity to say that it's time to, to let it be like, to let it out and to share it with people so that we, otherwise we could have just like gone on to it forever. And like some of our friends were joking about like, you know, we're just, we're going to be recording this album forever. I think we joked about, we should just put like a live stream up where we just say, here's a new album. It goes forever. And then just basically play until we just either pass out or, or die or something like that. And just like, just almost play on that idea. Um, but, uh, it's sort of like, you know, after a while we're ready to, we want to play these songs live as well. So you almost get that cabin fever and you're ready to take it out and show it to people so you can kind of release it and move on from it um, and start working on new, fresh ideas. And, um, yeah, it never it never felt like we ever rushed it. I think we definitely, we might, uh, it's hard to say because I wouldn't say we're far enough away to have hindsight about it, but it's like, we didn't rush putting it out. We definitely let it mature and part of, yeah, like letting that process, because if you do just let something sit for three months, it can change a lot. And so much happens in your own life that you might end up just thinking about it in a complete different way. Um, so you almost have to just call it and say, okay, we know, we know when enough is enough, basically. You outside the band, do you write music or work on material? And if so, how do you go about it? Yeah, um, I sort of so I sort of have like a few projects um, just sort of running in the background. Um, before I played, uh, before I joined Tangled, I um, had been working on sort of like a duo with a drummer friend of mine, um, where just kind of a similar, not a similar vibe to Tangle, but like slower drone and things like that. Um, and we're kind of like, he's a, he's a graduate from Whopper, um, like doing jazz, um, the WA Performing Arts Academy. Um, he, um, he's pretty happy to sort of just play improv now and again, and we just do our own thing. But, um, so the, there's sort of, because I have, I almost think about it where it's like you can write for a band, you can write for an orchestra, or you can write for solo. And I do have these different little projects and baskets that I, I almost have like, okay, I'm working on some solo stuff and I'm working on some of those. And I find that there, there's a really interesting book that kind of talks about this. Um, and it's like the whole you set the space and the, and you set the time. So I, I really like on my days off just 
I kind of read some books and I get in the zone a bit and then it's like, I know, okay, I'm going to get down to work and you start just practicing or and practicing writing as well. It's like, I, I, there's a lot of times where I'm not writing because I'm trying to get an end piece in mind. I'm writing because I'm trying to expand my ability to use the vocabulary and you're kind of honing your skills and as you're doing that, it's kind of like you're waiting for inspiration to spike, uh, to strike. And it's like if you turn up and you're ready, you know, all your tools are ready, you're ready to play and you, you're actually just getting into it and diving in, a lot of the time you will find that after a while you warm up and you start having inspiration and and thinking about, like, not necessarily thinking about things but getting in the zone and, and just playing. Um, and I tend to, I've, like, a recording set up at home as well so I can record jams and things like that. Um, and the way, so I get like, so when I approach that personally, I have more like a, I am interested in getting better at, at music. Like I'm, I'm sort of self-taught, but it's like the, it is something that interests me and I'm challenged by it and I'm, I'm definitely driven by that challenge. It's like, I know, points that I'm sort of weak at with my playing. So it's like I will work on those, but work on those in ways where it helps just broaden my abilities and even the way I think about the instrument so that then when I am, when we basically, you know, when we go to Tangled rehearsal with a lot of the time we are set up to record as well. So we can just sort of dive in and record and not worry so much about what we're playing, but, listen to each other and interact with each other and it's sort of like all those skills that you build in your personal time you can you you know you have those you have the ability to pull those things out and it helps you pull out the things that you can hear rather than trying to force something into a song or into a part that's happening um so I feel like I kind of approach it with that um, like a work ethic in a way where I do, it takes a bit of discipline. Um, you know, there's days where I don't end up playing as oh, I don't feel like doing that. And then it's like, it's almost harder to play the next day as well. And it's like that stuff steamrolls. So it's this, you've got to kind of just like keep moving to, to even just like keep balance in a way and like keep your skills honed and, it's a. It's definitely something that I've been working more and more on as I, I've moved. I've changed some work conditions and things like that, so I do have more time to be able to do these things. And um, I do feel like I can see that progression, and it's it's still really engaging. Um, there's definitely times where I really enjoy looping and stuff, and I'll end up cut it, like getting up in the morning and feeling inspired and cutting like a morning loop, like a loop of a that ends up being like a feeling like a vibe or something like that. And I'll let that just sit for hours in the house and like make breakfast or something like that. Um, and listen to how things move around and you, and you almost let the music explore itself when you can do that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's kind of a mix of like practicing on your actual ability, but also then, sometimes using a little bit of technology and stuff to like, you know, delay pedals and stuff like that. Like, man, it's a, it's an awesome world of pedals now. 
um, you can they will help you just expand things from a way that you might not have been thinking about um, and just trying to be open and curious with all of those kind of things and think of it as like a because it, it's an art form it's it takes a while to get used to the idea of just that you are producing art in a way sometimes um, especially like I've, I've worked in like mining industry and oil and gas and it's like a completely different mindset to how the rest of the world operates at times um, so it's it's I, I definitely think like kind of having personal exploration just like almost having the idea of like, oh, yeah, I would like to write like a solo piece, but I also would like to write for an orchestra and things like that and keeping that curiosity open and learning things from those just to apply back to even then, you know, it all translates back to you can use all the information that you gain in every aspect again. So um, it, it sounds weird to talk about that. I think my the way I practice is beneficial i feel like it's almost weird to say that but <laughs> just because it's like oh that's that bit cocky but um like yeah you know it's almost like saying you know if you play you'll get better and i do believe that it's like you practice and you get better you practice writing and you get better um so i never i, I wouldn't say that i um write material with the idea of putting it out in mind but I definitely write material to help me develop the ideas of things that I would want to put out and present. Um, and it kind of helps me from like stagnating as well. So yeah, <laughs> it's a, I, I, yeah, I find it beneficial at least. Let's talk a little bit more about the album. Uh, the track binary collapse includes a lot of, brass um a few trumpets a few other instruments um where did you guys get the idea to include those additionally to you know the rest of you guys playing um i'm not quite i feel like the initial idea was was there pretty early on um when the track had taken form this was one of the ones so like we recorded this i think three times um and it we had the the overall form but little things changed and it got better each time and we by the time we'd had that first recording of it down we knew that we would because this was more like a structured song as well so it wasn't as much of the improv kind of aspect of things it was actual writing and working on parts and like spend hours just working on the final riff and things like that um it was um something that we could com like we could all commonly hear and we do like brass is just such a, a great timbre and it's definitely one of those things like especially on that track um i certainly as a guitarist would have was trying to emulate more horn section kind of and those kind of sounds um so we ended up i guess we were like why if if we can hear it and we have friends that can help us do it, um, we should give it a try, <laughs> basically. Um, and when we then, so we got um, our four friends down and it just sounded so great without it even really being coherent that we were just like, yeah, we've made the right choice with this. It sounds, 
it it really I feel like it comes in at a point in an album where it's almost like you do need a little bit of triumph um, and that song sort of does play on a little bit of the up and down and duality of life, highs and lows, those kind of things. So it just seemed to really help make that moment in the album pop in a way where it got better than any of us were expecting as well um, and it kind of attained to a mood that was perhaps like a little bit further than we were trying to grasp for at the time. Like, um, so it was just another one of those cases of like being able to hear a sound and, and chasing it in a way. (laughs) One thing I always like to ask instrumental bands is kind of a weird question, but I I think kind of is always interesting. So obviously instrumental bands for the most part don't have lyrics but they still, for the most part, have song titles. Where do yours come from and what do they mean? Oh, it's um, it's definitely one of the harder aspects. You're right. Um, I'm sure uh, most of the other uh, bands would say along similar lines of possibly like it comes kind of late. Oh, uh, you know, the diff- yeah, different strokes, different folks. So for us... Um, it, they the titles for these ones did kind of come a bit later in the piece where we had working titles and we had concepts for those kind of working titles as well. But then it was a case of like actually setting our sights on, okay, let's, we can hear the album mostly now. Like we can, we can put on the pre-pro and listen to it and um, you know, let's, Let's come. Let's find what these titles are that are resonating with us, and um, it really is a case of like the for this one, like the four of us sitting down and just talking about titles for like a couple of hours and just listening to the album and and playing with different words and things um, like binary collapse and things like that, where it is like we I, I'd say a lot of the album we do kind of almost play on like a a science and organic kind of meaning with a lot of the names, like a lot of them are supposed to have a duality about them um, where we could take an example of like say binary collapse where we were kind of thinking about like giant black holes and the way that, the riff crushes into itself at the end, how it's almost like it gets an implosion. And um, I believe one of the initial, like one of the titles just before binary collapse was binary implosion. And we kind of felt that almost took away the humanity of the title as well. We wanted there to be a, a reminiscent, like connection to humanity within the titles as well. And, so, like, you know, bringing it to, like, collapse where it's almost it feels like the same where the whole riff does collapse in on itself and it gets that similar imagery but it also has this feeling of, like, you know, imagine seeing or imagining your loved ones collapsed or things like that as well or yourself. Um, and I feel like we sort of, because we came towards the end when we started to come and bring titles really together, like, it might've been the week before it went to mastering that we'd actually settled on all the titles. Um, 
we did get to have that like maturity to sort of we've thought about these tracks for for two years in a way and we've had time to think about what they what they mean to us and the imagery that we want to provoke with the titles um and yeah so it's just that matter of fact of having the time to think about it and then sitting down and refining it as as a team and coming up with something that's kind of like collaborative in the same way that the songs were as well where it's like no one title was any one person's choice in a way like everyone definitely came together to help them all get made in a way
the title for the album, where does that come from? So it sort of comes from the idea that with this initial jam we had, um, we were calling it uh, just just things like we knew that it was wild and that it was just like thrashing around and there wasn't necessarily like a pulse or anything like that in the song. Um, and we wanted to capture a way to sort of express the idea of like something being almost like just being completely chaotic and free from any like actual grounding or anything like that. Um, and this whole, um, because we sort of are almost playing on the idea of like space as well in the like idea of, you know, if you become untethered, you float off into space forever and you're lost in the chaos kind of thing. Um, but even in that, like when you, when like society completely diverges and collapses into chaos, it kind of loses its connection with itself and um, like its human connection with itself as well. And it's almost like releasing the tether that ties everyone together as well. Um, and it sort of comes from that, that idea that we tried to have some sense of chaos across the entire album and, um, and when we come to the title track, there are parts where because we're improvising and playing, like we're, we're playing all the noise and all the dense kind of stuff while we're playing the other, uh, while, you know, we're playing melodies and things like that. But it's so interwoven with all this noise and all this other stuff where it'll be like, we can't move on to our new section until the bass player does a certain thing. So you have to be hyper aware, but he can't do certain things until someone else does certain things as well. So there's almost this like passing the the ball around for lack of a better word, like, and everyone's just like keeping everything up and afloat by just basically constantly just like fastly moving our hands and, and trying to float this, this like waveform that doesn't really have a distinct pulse in a way. It's like the way that we collide with each other to me, like I do feel like it ends up being like quite a intense, like ocean of sound where there are ripples all over and they're collapsing into each other in different points and there's peaks and troughs and it makes it, it makes it feel really light, like alive. Um, and that was sort of the the idea as well in that, like, there is, like, a vibrancy and a movement in chaos and that it's not necessarily, like, a bad thing either. Like, you, we do need chaos for there to be kind of progression and, and evolution and things like that as well. And so we were trying to play with those ideas, like, compositionally um, with our improvisation as well. Um, so, yeah, a couple of meanings behind it, in a way. And the cover art, I think it was a drawing by, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce it, so maybe best you pronounce it, but uh, why did uh, you pick that as your as the cover art? 
Yeah, so the uh, drawing was uh, by Theo Trillor. Um, that's from his series Another Grey World. Um, we worked with Theo. Um, so he actually did the album artwork for Yield to Despair, the album before. And we worked with Theo again. Um, when we went on tour with um, Over the East Coast, we caught up with him again and um, we had a great time. We were just chatting about some concepts and stuff like that. And he was talking about some similar things with the way he was exploring art at the time, like chaos and almost like a brutalist way, like almost so like he's done all this work with pencils where it's like it's thousands and thousands of tiny strokes that then make up this giant picture. Um, And it just happened to be that, so we're working away and like Luke, um, our bass player sort of, keeps in touch with Teo and um, we're kind of looking at his art and the things that he was talking about and the names of his pieces and stuff was always really resonating with things that we were talking about and we were just like, oh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Like, so we, we almost had the, like, we had the idea of working with Teo from that and then it ended up being that he presented us with, like, a bunch of artwork kind of towards the end of the process and we had to we like stuck all the artwork up on the walls and we every time we were at jam we were just like looking at them and uh his original artwork is actually all um gray um it's all graphite pencil and um so we were kind of talking about that no tether had a different shade about it it had a different mood and feeling about it from yield to despair and we although we were working with Tiro again. We didn't want it to just be a direct continuation on from that album artwork. Um, so we were just playing with those ideas and yeah, it was probably only within the last few weeks of the whole process where we settled on this, this specific um, picture for the cover. And it partly feels like that was because it does leave this like questioning about it. And it is one of those pictures where it's like the longer you look at it, you can see other things. You can see like other little shapes in there and, and what look like almost like waves and the way that it almost does look like a kind of like shadow kind of not only hovering over a mind but also coming out of as well as like what almost looks like kind of cosmic background radiation or something like that, like seeping back into someone. And, and like we ended up finding that that was a good metaphor for what we feel like the album does in a live sense. And even what one of the ideas behind why we were chasing the liveness of the album, for lack of a better word. I want to move on and talk a little bit about the upcoming live show you've got. It's really, really interesting. I think a lot of sort of things to talk about with it. Uh, first of all, how did you get involved with this show, the, the Postcards from the West? Um, so Postcards is actually being um, organised by sort of like a friend of ours, Chris Wilden, who uh, he's the manager for RTRFM. Um, and, you know, we've played shows with because um, they do In the Pines and things like that, so we've had a nice rapport with the guys for quite a while uh, there. And um, they, I believe they're doing it as a um, just a way to sort of celebrate 
um, Australia, like Perth for a while and and help sort of, you know, celebrate the sense of community that we have and wind up the year in a way. Um, and so, yeah, Chris just ended up getting in touch with us like, oh, hey, guys, got, you know, this idea for this show. Is this something you guys would be interested in? And um, so... We happen to be so where um, I mean we've had the news come out that um, for a while now that um, so we're gonna with our drummer Ben um, he's actually uh, jumping back into finishing off his degree um, in in jazz um, so he's uh, had to dedicate some time to that and um, so we're not going to be able to we weren't going to be able to tour this year and things like that and we had started working on the idea of working on some film score and those kind of things. Um, so to us, it almost felt like it was something that we were, we were already working on in a way, um, but we hadn't necessarily defined what we were going to do for a release or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's almost like, you know, red biking it in a way. It's like we, we were wanting to do something like this and then maybe a month later we get an email about it and we're like, well, yeah, that's awesome. We're, we're actually thinking about doing this, so let's go for it. Um, and that's actually given us a chance to like, we've had to have like a deadline in a way, like to use the date of the gig to really get us, because like I said before, with no tether where it's like, we can just almost explore parts endlessly. Um, so sometimes having that kind of deadline will actually help to take form. Um, it's been great because we had this material that we want to record and we've been wanting to use anyway. Um, and we've, we've pretty much, we've written new material with the other material in mind, almost being like, yeah, we'll be able to use these guys together and form like a longer, so this is only going to be like a half hour long set. Um, we've almost used it as a way to energize our writing for other sections to finish off the next, basically the next album that we'd be looking at um, putting out. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just a, a case of everything lining up at a good time for us to jump on and it's hopefully going to be quite fun. Um, we've been, so we're recording all the jams and things now as we're rehearsing and, um, we're liking the sound of it as well. And it's because it's got the film score approach to it. We do get to play on all of the, like the building of environments and, and layering noise in with the way we, that we play. Um, and it's, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've used the word too many times now, but it has felt like really organic in the way that we've just been able to kind of just like step into playing and, putting this new thing together um i'd say we definitely have the the like the hopes and aspects that we would be looking at putting it out as a release of some kind um it sort of ends up being a way we've tangled where there's like an album and then possibly like a conceptual ep before then putting out another album so it might just take some kind of form like that um but um we're in an interest, interesting point because um, we're going to play the gig this weekend, um, so we'll be recording it there. 
and we're almost hoping that that's going to be a live recording that we want to be able to release afterwards. Um, so there's a little bit of like anticipation in being really excited about new material and how it's sounding. Um, but then just the excitement of being able to have this kind of film score and production and the other bands that we're playing with are, are um, really cool and they're all different genres as well. Like um, there's a, a jazz ensemble and a improv jazz group as well as um, like a, a hip hop artist and it's going to be quite an interesting and broad palette for the night, um, but should be pretty fun nonetheless. Now, for those who don't know, could you explain a little bit about what exactly the footage is that you're using and how you went about choosing it from the collection? Uh, yeah, so the the foot. So basically, the idea behind the show is to um, is to use like we've got access to the state library archives. Um, and to use kind of footage that whether it be, it mo I think most people have gone with using like personal videos that people have put into the library. So like videos, we're looking at ones from like the thirties, like 1930s through to like 1960s and things like that. Um, there's a lot of footage there and the idea is to kind of portray Perth and, the culture and community and the story of Perth um, through some of the, this footage. Um, for us, we, <laughs> because uh, I guess because we do try to, we do end up writing for kind of darker music and we've gone with more, we've looked back at some of the footage from like the thirties and, all this black and white stuff um, where it's like we do have footage of like early logging industry and things like that. Um, there is a, uh, there's a scene from a, a funeral from um, uh, I'm not, I can't quite remember who the um, person was. It was um, one of the like bishops of the first like cathedral in Perth or something like that, where it was like a state funeral and, um, we definitely had a little dive in and tried to look for darker footage and we've, we're trying to present it in a way where we do have this almost sense of like nostalgia in some parts. Like it's not just one mood for the whole, for the whole piece. So there are parts of nostalgia and, and tenderness and, then there are parts of like of unease and and sadness and it is it's a common story with a lot of civilizations but it is part of the way that Perth has grown um, and we've been trying to we've been talking about it in the way that it's like this is what the cost to get where we are was. Um, you know, we've got footage there from, I believe it's, um, like, ship's departure from, um, people, like, you know, 18-year-old men heading off to uh, World War Two and things like that. Um, and it's, like, it's important to, to understand the kind of, pri like, price you've paid to get where you are in society. But 
we've we're also like hopeful in a sense that like we know it's good to be aware of those things so that it's almost like you can make sure that the means of getting somewhere it's not just about justifying the end it's like the means need to be just as important in a way and it's like to not lose sight on the way that society is progressing we need to be aware of of the of the things that we have given up and the the fights that we have had um and the sadness that that's all caused and the lessons that you know that millions of people had to learn about that that's not how we want our society to go again uh especially for like the world war ii kind of theme in in mind um so it sort of ended up being that we we went on the like we like individually went about just looking at um lots like diving through lots of footage it's like you can you can type in like you know (laughs) uh serpentine falls is a place that's actually near the studio so it's like you look up serpentine falls and you can find footage from like across various different decades and it's like black and white and color and they have different feelings about them and things like that and it's like we did spend quite a few hours going through footage and and talking about these themes and then coming we we actually used the idea that we wanted to use older footage and black and white kind of footage and stuff and that helped us refine down to a point where we could concentrate okay we've now we've got because we're talking about hours of footage for a half hour long set and i believe we've ended up taking say like five to six different videos and presented different scenes from them with the different kind of movements throughout the piece um and that after we had kind of got the general layout of it all together it's it stayed pretty true to form from that point like we've we've been pretty happy with how it's come together. Um, And it's almost in a way where it's like, because of the fact that we're coming out of the back of writing for No Tether and recording and all these things, we're not, we haven't had a disrupted process of being out of the studio in a way. Like we haven't gone and toured for a couple of years. We've, we've kept working and that's kept the kind of like the gears turning over and and everyone kind of just not only, like contributing, but also then like then just trying to think about parts from different perspectives as well so that we can just find something that we're really happy with without getting too lost in like jamming on things for for weeks and months and recording things for years. So it's, it's almost been a fast process compared to No Tether, um, but it's still been a few, like I think we've been, the initial ideas that we were writing for it came about six months ago um, from jams that we were doing, thinking about those like film scores in it on our own anyway. So it's good that we've been able to bring an idea in that we were already thinking about, but then find, well, just gain access to really interesting footage that we hadn't even considered kind of using before the offer. Um and yeah, so it was good that that doorway kind of opened up, and we're able to just sort of jump on while we've got the chance, and 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 just find things that resonate with us and present them to people as well. 
having chosen those particular pieces to have as your your backdrop to your music, or I don't know the other way around, which whichever perspective you have, have you been like jamming, rehearsing to the footage, or or how is that working? Yeah, yeah, we've um, so we've been we actually brought a TV over from like the house and brought it into the studio. So um, for about oh, we've had like a working demo of the. The editing, uh, Luke, the bass player, he uh, he does a lot of the video editing and things like that. So he's um, put together like a, a really good working demo that we were working off, say, like a month and a half ago, um, maybe even two months. Like, And then that, yeah, like that hasn't had to change too much. Like it's it's been edited to fit with the way that scenes change so that we can sync up with it more. And um, so like the last couple of weeks, we've definitely been playing where we've been watching and interacting with the film as well and trying to it it's it's funny I hadn't quite thought about it in that way but it's um not so much that it's about the music or the video but hopefully that the video is playing a role in participating with the music and the music's participating with the with the video as well um which is hopefully what you want to get from a good film score um and because it is something that we're super interested in, we have been trying to approach it with a, a film score mindset as well. So I've interviewed, I think it was Cascades a year or two ago, and they actually had this weird thing where they found some old footage and they made a video out of it to accompany one of their songs. And then uh, two weeks ago, maybe, I interviewed a band called Lage, and they did a kind of similar thing that you've done, except it was their EP set to a bunch of old movies, like old mm. silent black and white movies. Um, yeah, it's uh, really cool. I, I probably shouldn't say this, but like I've always found music videos kind of boring, because... Like, uh, not much <laughs> seems to go on in them. Like it's a band playing and then a scene of something happening, which sort of lacks a lot of context. But I, I find these kind of things where you're setting old footage or old movies to, to music just kind of fascinating. Cause there's so many different ways you can reinterpret stuff. There's so many different kind of layers that get dra- drawn on, po- on top of it. And sometimes it's just purely accidental. And that's why I think it's really fascinating about these kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, um, like I, I definitely find that interesting as well. Um, there's one, um, like a band from France put out Year of No Light. They did a um, soundtrack to a film called Vampire from like, the, I don't know, like the 20s or something like that, like a really dark black and white silent film. Um, and like the way that it does add like another dimension to music as well because it's like, you know, like, you hear you're you're taking up so much of your um your capacity for attention with music but you still have something left over for visuals and it's something that like we try to we are kind of aware of as being an instrumental band in that like people like producing music will people will see different things in their mind and and visualize different things um but then it's that whole idea of like when you add video to it it does it's like adding another writer or another player into the band it's adding this extra just like perspective that does just open up 
the way that it can all be interpreted. And it's, it, you know, like you and I could watch the same thing and we would have completely different experiences because of the way that we interpreted them. Um, and video just seems to just, because you're not visualizing things from your own personal kind of catalog for lack of better words. Um, it's, it's just adding, yeah, just that extra, just whole, just, oh, you know, especially when they're dark, like, you know, we both listen to quite a lot of dark bands, I'd say it's like, it can almost make things even grimmer and, it's it's definitely it's definitely something that we're excited as uh, excited about as a band, um, and I think we're like you know we're looking forward to exploring it a bit more as well. And it does seem like there are more bands doing a similar kind of thing where we might end up having a bit more long form music videos for or something like that, which would be really cool. Mm, another really great example is fellow West Australians. Bolt Gun, who did yeah. a what was it twenty something minute video from a, a Russian film that yeah. they managed to get permission from, which was incredible. <laughs> it's like, and it's one of those films like it was already a, quite a dark and tense film, and like you listen to it with Bolt Gun over, and it's just it's really intense. Like, yeah, I, I really loved that uh, that release, um, and uh, yeah, the film clip for it as well is just it's just great. And those guys have played it live where um they have had projection and stuff like that. And it's 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 been cool to watch. Um it's definitely yeah, an interesting tangent that's happening at the moment. I wanna run a theory by you. Um that this and I've got no evidence for this. Like I could, pro- I could possibly watch it with what I'm going to talk about, and it would make yeah. complete sense. I'm just wrong, and I'm just imagining this. But yeah. this, this sort of project would work better with the kind of footage you're talking about from the '60s to the '30s, because old footage, because of a lot of different reasons, the the people look different because of the clothing mm-hmm. they wear, the the houses look different, the technology looks different, the just way of filming looks different, both because they position cameras differently and they have different filming footage that kind of feels in a certain way like a movie. Like it's something foreign, yeah. it's not real. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, uh, yeah, I, I catch what you're uh, on about. Like it's the not necessarily like the alienness of it, but like the detachment as well. And it's like a surreal, like surrealism about it. That's just like, especially if you're listening to music where it's like almost out of bodily in a way, it's like, it does let you kind of almost invest in this like bizarro alternate universe where it's like things can still feel so personal, but because the like you know you're not like it's not like you're seeing someone in the news today in a film and you're like oh cool that's that person and then you're losing concentration you're like you're able to get engrossed in it because we're so detached from the like the era um at least like yeah i i like that theory <laughs> for sure <laughs> <laughs> um so with, with this um piece you've been working on with this uh, show um, you mentioned earlier that you're currently down a drummer. How have you approached that um, particular angle of it? Um, so we mostly, because um, with like the initial ideas that we were working off, it was coming from a jam, uh, like jams where 
we were playing as like a three piece, um, like guitar, bass and piano. Um, so because uh, like we've been, you know, we're working with looping and layering like um, some triggered samples or things like that where it's like even little things like rattling bells and things like that. But um, so I feel like we spent a bit of time just developing a bit more language together and we got it to a point where we really liked it sans drums um but i guess we kind of we had a a few friends around that could help out and we just wanted to find out what it was going to be like if we just brought we were thinking it more as percussion rather than drums um and that's definitely the way we're still approaching it so we're actually going with two drummers um we've got one of our friends, Jacob, who used to play in a band called Foxes um, that Ron also recorded. They uh, put a pretty cool release out as well. Um, he's actually, so he's taking on the sort of kit role. And then we have our friend um, Lenny Jacobs, who's um, just like a jazz cat. Um, this is the guy that I play in a duo with sometimes. Um, he's taking on the percussion role and using bigger toms and just really big cymbals and things like that. And we're sort of, when I say we're sort of writing from a film score aspect, it's sort of in that, like, there are parts that are beats and, you know, there's parts that are in, like, 3-4 and things like that. But, like, when there's things that are free time and ambient sections and kind of noise sections, we we do have that space where we do, we're getting, like, nice big cymbal swells and things like that and big tom hits and and just little things like that that are just there's you know there's a reason why there's drums in in heavy music and just in a lot almost all music in a way because they are like a really a primal instrument and they sound good and they take up a certain space of their own that we've we've sort of worked on the fact that cool, we know how these sounds fit in and how can we interact with them in a way that we really, we really want to um, and allow them the space to kind of not feel like they've got to take up a traditional drum roll and just play beats everywhere, but to really sit back and try and think of it as like a, a, a wider scale composition and, and what roles they're playing and what's that, what did the dynamics adding um and it is just yeah it's one of those interesting things you play like we play the songs as a three piece and they sound really dynamic and and great and like we can get down to such a low level of sound um and then peak so high as well and then you add the drums back in and they almost multiply those parts like the peaks get even louder and more intense and um the troughs can stay delicate and nice and warm still. Um, so I think we've mostly just been trying to have fun with it. And um, it's definitely, I'm not going to say that we would do it forever, but we definitely love the idea. Like it'd be a dream to be able to just take two drummers around everywhere and play like massive shows and kind of get a light. Like, you know, we, we love bands like Swans and Cold of Luna. So all those extra layers that we always kind of writing in the back of our minds to actually have an extra player playing those. It's, it's really fun. And it does like, 
open up the whole the whole sound as well um but it's one of those things where it's like it's expensive to tour uh, and it's like we live in perth so you know when we do an east coast tour we've got to take five flights we can't just jump in a van and drive around so it's like we really it'd be interesting to see where we go in the future with it um but it might be hard to justify being able to take two drummers around all the time um although we'd love to
last question about playing live, and this is more broad because I imagine tomorrow, uh, Saturday will be a very special experience, but like, what are you trying to do when you're playing live? It's, it's an interesting concept in a way. Um, for me, like playing live, it's about actually presenting your art to like two people and like to, to share it. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, you could send someone a CD. The live aspect is like, it's, I've read some interesting concepts about this kind of stuff where it's like, you're, you're sort of, because you're having to like play and play in the moment kind of thing. There's this, the idea of like that because there's people watching, you almost have this like hyper concentration and are way more attentive to the song, but also able to like get more deeply immersed into the song as well. Um, And it's, it's, yeah, it's when you're creating art, it's like you're, you're essentially like, we're creating things that might be able to last forever and things like that, but we're doing it at the cost of actual like life. Like it literally takes time and you have to be there to play live music. It's not like a painting where you do a painting and it can go out in galleries and stuff like that. It's like you actually have to participate in it emerging and so it kind of helps build like a deeper connection with music, I think. And um, then the way, so when we talk to people after Tangled shows, there seems to be a quite a, a common thread in that like people feel quite deeply connected to the music and feel quite emotional through parts like, there's definitely, and we kind of write with that in mind as well. Like there is a catharsis to heavy music for sure. And there's a way that like heavy and dark music draws attention to some people as well that then helps them like kind of be drawn into it. And then the way that we play with contrast in our music, we do want to have tender moments. We do want there to be parts where it's like, you've stripped everything away and it's just like touching on something that's resonating in your heart or something like that, where it's like, it can be different for other people, but there's, you know, there are common themes in life of like love and loss and things like that, that can be sort of shared, but also it like, it does allow this connection and it with the people in the audience as well. Like, so I think it it might also help that it's like when we're playing live, you know, it is quite a, it's loud. Like it is a quite a experience where it's like your body's shaking. Like we've had people talk about it before where it's like, you know, they can feel the bass resonating in them. It's quite a bodily experience as well. And when you can feel the pulse of those things pulling at you as well, it, it's, it is an interesting aspect of music and i think maybe people that play like quite heavy music or trance music and things like that or like 
I want to say, like transcendental music in a way, like people like Philip Glass and things like that, where it's like they know there's an engrossment and also this sort of sense of like pulling people in, but they're also growing from the experience and because they're thinking about things from that different perspective. And it's almost like the same way where you're talking about the engagement from having old films and things with music. It's like when it's it's almost like being told a deep truth about yourself by someone else. It's like you might have partly known, but it's like you're actually having it like put into your, like, you know, put in front of you and having to look at it. And it is this, it's quite, it's, I feel like it's something I've thought about in a deep sense, but it's also like because music's so primal and so deeply ingrained in our culture, like I think we had music before we got out of caves and things like that. Um, it's, it's hard for me to say like, you know, what it is about live music that creates that connection or anything like that, but it's, it's definitely something that we've we've like been talking about with the people that come and see us and engaging in and it's definitely something that like the idea of no tether being such a live album in a sense where it ha- it demands such participation and awareness from us as players that people can't help but be drawn into the fact that we're so almost like in the zone in a way and like it's it's something where hope like hopefully we're like strengthening humanity in a way like we're we're helping people kind of either like develop like or work through hard times that they're going through like emotional times and things like that like we do have people talk to us about how I don't want to get too deep on it, but like a a friend in Germany was talking about how the only thing that he was going through when he was going through chemotherapy, the only thing that kept him going was listening to like the album dead in the fields and things like that. And it's like, you do, there is this real strong emotional connection with people with music. And when you play that live, it's because you're all there and you're in that experience together it is, um, I feel like, a stronger connection and does help people pull into it and feel it helps people feel part of a community as well, I believe. And it's like in this kind of world where people are like almost suffering some, from isolation because everyone's so overwhelmed and overstimulated that they need to shut off at times and things like that. And like these are things we were talking about when we were making the album, like the disconnect in society and stuff and the almost like angst that people have with technology as well. And it is this kind of thing where music does help people build a connection with other people as well. So it could be like, say, shared empathy and things like that. Um, it, it's a very interesting process to take part of. And I, wouldn't even necessarily say that something it's like, I wouldn't say that I consciously jumped into playing music knowing that that is something that could happen. It's more something that we've discovered along the way. Um, and I'm sure many other musicians would be able to talk about 
that similar sense of like connection with the crowd and and almost that like feeling of not maybe like duty duty might be a good word for it where it's like you almost you feel like because you're thinking about some of these concepts and trying to apply them into music that you're you're helping other people to to learn these things and connect with these ideas as well um and helping just people in general that may not have the time to think about these things or the time to try and connect with themselves to actually like to to try and step into that or develop those kind of things um which like i personally think is sort of a way towards how we can develop as a society as well and and move forward um without basically just collapsing into complete chaos and everyone just bloody stabbing everyone in the street or something like that to be grim like if we have connection with each other and with community and we feel a part of our society, then that will hopefully lead to, to sort of more of it being made rather than a destructive force taking over or something like that and collapsing it all. I want to ask you a couple of questions about yourself now. Um, when did you first start listening to music in this kind of broad category and what was it that attracted you to it? Um... I sort of feel like for a long time I've had an interest in a, like in broad range of genres sort of from the get-go in a way and like I was definitely always interested in music growing up as a kid and I had some um, older cousins that were musicians as well and they would show me things like, you know, they're like 10 years older than me I think so it's like things like Tool and bands like that as well as like old blues players and even just you know from Hendrix to like say Deep Purple and things like that like there was a broad range of music but there's always been a sense of that I think I've never been able to like listen to an album where every song sounds the same it kind of I almost feel not let down but like it's like oh like I find it almost like two one track mine in a way um so sort of I think just like listening to just even just film scores like I know the uh like Nick Cave and Warren Ellis assassination of Jesse James it's like one of those kind of scores that you can listen to over and over again and hear different things um the way that instrumental music moves and the fact that it's kind of like, you know, we're not set in a genre in a way that stuff's always been interesting as well. Um, and I found that I would say, say over like the last five years that I have listened to a more broader range of music, um, in terms of actually like letting some more pop music and, and that kind of stuff, like, like, you know, listening to the radio and checking out different radio stations and things like that. But, um, and I've definitely been, I mean, my, my older cousin was like a classical guitarist for a little while at school. So I remember listening to like pieces from him and, and then like getting interested in classical music when I was like 12 and always finding it really interesting. But then also like finding out about bands, like I think it was actually James, the original 
um, the original drummer for Tangled. So this was like 10 plus years ago, um, turned me on to like Opeth and stuff like that, where you're listening to, I listened to the Deliverance Damnation album and it's like almost, a, it's a clean album that's almost like Jeff Buckley-esque in parts in the way that he sings and things. And then you listen to the Damnation uh, Deliverance side and it's all heavy metal. And I think that was one of the first albums that really brought me into like listening to sc- like screams and, and darker kind of, not necessarily darker metal, um, but like being way more accepting of those kind of things and knowing that it's not just like, someone yelling for the sake of yelling, knowing that it's like they, there can be like composition to it and understanding it as a layer. Um, that's a, I feel like I've given you a really broad answer to that question, but um, yeah, even just, I was obsessed with like Jimi Hendrix growing up as a kid as well. And it's like the difference in the way that how some of his albums were, and the extra noises in it, I always found the kind of like the interesting passages where they'd go off into jams or like you'd hear live versions where things were different and those were always intriguing and interesting and it was always kind of, it always pricked my ears up in a way to hear those like, oh, like, oh, he did that? this Oh. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's been a, a long time of developing I think and I think it's just about being open and curious about music in general um uh when did you pick up the guitar and why did you keep playing it um I think I I first started playing guitar like a I I have a memory as a kid of just like learning like smoke on the water (laughs) from my cousins when I'm like eight or nine or something like that and it's like I feel like I can remember being a kid running down the hallway with like a fake guitar, like when I'm three years old or something like that and being like, yeah, I want to play this thing. And then sort of like, I didn't get to really touch it for a few years. Like, and there was almost this anticipation of like, Oh yeah. Like, so when I finally got my very first guitar for like a Christmas or something like that, when I was like maybe 11 or 12, I just, wanted to play it and I like I like I knew I was getting it for Christmas so anytime mum and dad were out I like snuck in their room and unwrapped it and like played it for a little bit and then like wrapped it back up perfectly and put it back in the box and hid it in the closet again and like just they probably knew the whole time but I was like oh wow like so excited that I could just have a guitar um and I I remember like for the first few years it was like every day I'd play like even even now it's like rarer there's a day that I don't play that I that I do and it's it's interesting I almost have a love-hate relationship with guitar as well because it's like there's things it can't do and there's things that I can't do on it but it's like it's also something that I have spent a lot of time with and I'm comfortable with and I I I really like to try and get the guitar to sound like other instruments and not just sound like guitar like I'm not as interested in in like kind of like just like you know like shredding arpeggios and and things like that like I want my guitar to sound like a broken organ rather than here's my sweet sweeping tone kind of thing um so I feel like like I've definitely got an interest in other instruments and things like that as well but 
guitar just seemed to be the one that just ended up in my hands, I guess. Being from Melbourne, I don't really have a good feel of like what the Perth scene is, sort of broadly musical. What, what, what is the Perth scene like? Does it have a character? <laughs> you're, you're, I feel like you're almost there. It's, it's broadly musical. Um, it's uh, Perth's, Perth's really interesting in that like we're quite spread out. So, like for example, our studio is like a 45-minute drive south of Perth. Um, but we, like when we play shows, we go, we play in Perth because that's, you know, that's where most of the venues are and there's venues around the place, but there is like a, a really tight, well, not tight, but there's a, a great culture around Perth where there are people that are interested in a lot of different genres and there's like, there is a lot of different I'd say there's almost like separate scenes around in Perth, but there's these little like just interface zones where it's like for Tangled, for example, we, you know, we're kind of a heavy band, but, you know, in this gig we're playing with like jazz and and hip hop bands and things like that. And even um, like, I feel like RTR is ha, does have some responsibility in helping to actually pull the communities together um, by kind of presenting something that's like, hey, here's here's Perth music, and we're actually proud of Perth music. Um, and there's almost this like, you step out of the the culture of the local music scene and talk to people that are like sometimes you Joe Blow down the street that's like, you know, working FIFO or something like that. He doesn't even know any of the bands in Perth. He just listens to like Triple J and doesn't partake in the kind of local scene. And it is, but then, you know, he still goes to music festivals and things like that. So there's almost this like outer culture of when big touring acts come and big festivals come and stuff like that, like people do go and people really do like live music and the festivals have always seemed really, really great when I've gone to them. Um, But then there's almost this like inner sanctum or circle of just like the local music scene where all these different bands are just interacting. I feel like because everyone's appreciative of how hard it's, I'm not going to say it's hard to make music in Perth, but appreciative of the fact that because we're not a massive population and we're not like, you know, people don't necessarily consider us on the forefront of like music and things like that. Like we're not getting considered like Brooklyn or something like that. But so we've got to work harder to even put on shows, like to have a venue put you on, they've got to not want to put on, some other shot, like some other thing that like, a, you know, that they think will just make money and sell lots of beer over the bar or something like that. So it really helps that. I, and I feel like the community is actually like getting more involved with each other over the last few years as well. Like it's just, it's starting to snowball and pick up. Um, and there is this almost intermingling of, of those different scenes, like the sort of hardcore scene and, and like 
metal scene and the psych scene and there's like garage and all those kind of things. And cause we're all playing in venues and it's almost like, you know, there's not 20 bands to choose from to play with. So once you've played a few gigs, it's like, you do start to go like, Oh, you know, like who else is around that would be cool to play with. And people of different genres do play on bills with each other and stuff like that. Um, I, f- I feel like it's partly to do with the, the isolation or the, the distance that everyone has to travel that everyone is more like willing to, to give each other a hand and to help book people and, or like even things like, it's like, you know, we always consider when our friend friends come over from the East coast to play shows and stuff, it's like, you know, we want to help them with gear and things like that because it's like, it can be ridiculous to try and get gear. Um, and it's like even just doing things like that where you're helping out friends' bands with gear and stuff, you end up getting exposed to other things, but then other people from the scene come as well. And it's – I say scene, but I think more – it's starting to build like a really nice community, I'd say. Um, and like, yeah, it is interesting that sort of having like RTR as a radio station that is helping actually develop that and bring people together and – this, I feel like this show is an example of that as well, um, as well as like the other great shows like In the Pines and things. Um, so it's really helpful to have that kind of like step up from another platform that does have the ability to give a bit more exposure as well because it's not necessarily, you know, we don't have population density. So it's not like you play in the main street in Perth and you'll get 100 walk-ins. Um you're relying on people knowing about the shows and word of mouth getting around and just just people actually being genuinely interested in coming to see the show as well. Yeah, it's 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 quite interesting to see how the community's building and developing. Um and I, I'm you know, I'm pretty hopeful that it will keep going. Um and you know, with all the we're talking on podcasts right now, with all the way that technology is opening up all these new avenue avenues to just get out there and share music and just communicate with people. Um, hopefully it just, just makes it easier and easier for people to be part of the community. What have you been listening to reading, watching any of that stuff lately? <laughs> um, I've been listening to the set a bit. <laughs> um, so a little bit of the tangled music, um, for sure. But um, you know, I spend a lot of I spend a bit of time listening to podcasts and stuff like that. Um, the uh, like, you know, one of the main ones probably being like Joe Rogan, where you do get to hear sort of scientists and and some of these other mathematicians and people like Jordan Peterson or like like Eric Weinstein or I mean Elon Musk is on there. It's like it's really great to be able to hear people talking in a longer format. Um, and that is probably the thing I enjoy about it. It's like you can't hide with preconceived answers in a way. Like you need to talk genuinely about things. And when you see people talk, like the way that – like I, I honestly think like podcasts are, are kind of hopefully help change the political landscape um, because you can't just sprout out a whole bunch of fake facts and then not back them up. It's like – you have the ability to go, okay, let's actually look at this and prove this and things like that. Um, so it's been interesting to uh, to just listen to some of those things every now and again. Um, Bands-wise, like, 
been listening to the Necks a bit. Um, they're an Australian kind of like jazz, like textural jazz band. They're um, had a chance to see them play live a few times, and they're like another one of these bands where it's like they're they're really pushing with the playing with awareness and attention and and actual tension as well. Um, whoa, like I feel like I've listened to. Like a, with trying to sort of broaden, I've started to listen to a little bit more like classical music and things like that again throughout the year. Um, like I, I love just going on like either YouTube and I'll check out anything from like, you know, the pure frequency things and like shamanistic healing music through to like classical, like Requiem by Mozart is a devastating piece. And things like even contemporary like Steve Reich or Philip Glass. Um, but I also really like just getting on like Bandcamp and exploring genres um, and just seeing what people are doing and the rate that people are putting music out now, it's like you almost can't keep up with how much is coming out. But it's really interesting to see there's like these like common threads and things like that developing and from so like touching on I sort of read a few books um a few older books this year where so a book called like the art and the artist by a German man Otto Rank that's like written in the 60s where he's talking about um like critiquing art and the emergence of creative impulse and things like that and so it is interesting to sort of start taking in art and music where you're you're seeing like the commonalities that multiple bands are, are kind of showing and like the way that music's emerging with culture and even the fact that it's like the way that music is, it's a reflection of what culture is like at any like at the time that it's made as well. So you almost get an insight into the way that the world is perceiving itself. Um, and I find looking at something like Bandcamp where you can just like explore genres endlessly and you're seeing all this new, like listening to all this new stuff that's coming out all the time. It's like you're almost keeping up to date with what people around the world are playing and what they're putting out. And it's interesting that something that, is essentially like it's a free marketplace in the sense that like it doesn't really cost musicians that much to have a band camp and to, to release their music on that, that it it's allowing people to release things that they might not have released like say 30, 50 years ago where it's like you know, 50 years ago you needed to have a major record label where now it's like you could record a song in the morning and put it on band camp in the afternoon and 10 people might hear it like straight away or something like that. But it's like that really is quite a new concept and technology for for our society like it used to be say 300 years ago the only way you heard music was you had the chance to go see an orchestra and then you were completely destroyed and overwhelmed by it like it's a really massive experience and now it's like you can just instantly get an infinite amount of songs in your headphones um so it's there's a little bit of that, like, you want to, you know, there's 
there's definitely favorite bands that I have. And it's like, you start to appreciate people for their writing and their composition and listening to people for multiple recordings instead of just say having like a favorite album. Um, but having said that, you know, there are bands where it's like, Oh, that's my favorite album that they've got. Like, um, you know, I'd say like, say something like something along the high, uh, somewhere along the highway, um, by Colder Luna would be like a band favorite. And that's one of those things where it's almost like an album that's been able to withstand the test of time as well. I think it was put out like 12 years ago and it still sounds relevant. Um, so there's definitely like a good place in the world for, for music that's actually had time spent on it. But it's also really interesting to be able to ingest music that's just being produced on like an insane like scale in a way, like hundreds of hours of new music getting put on the internet every day in a way. So it's, I think it's good to have a mix of, being open to it all and trying to remain curious and listen to stuff, but also finding albums that really resonate. And then when you do find those, it's like, I like I have albums that I will listen to like hundreds of times and you hear new things in them when you hear, like listen to them over and over again. And it's, I, I feel like it's an interesting form of art. That's almost in a, because, because it is such a live thing. It's, it's almost in a really interesting point in its history because you can sit and listen to music in your room and have a connection with it, but you can also go to a gig and engage with it. And it's not, I can't say which way you'd engage with it deep, like deeper either. Like they're, they're both just different aspects of the same kind of broader creation. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really great to just, it's, it's an interesting time to be alive, I guess. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking that too.